0: you're listening to sports content strategy with Mr. Richard Clark
1: I think a lot of clubs can can kind attest of to that that kind of ideal and, and say oh, um, we're community clubs we do this we do that. We wanted to try and truly embody the spirit of our local area and our local people and what our place in that is and then live it. And actually, if you want to cut through the noise and you want to be knowing, known for a higher purpose and stand out from these identical clubs that make the same content all the time, you need to tell your stories hard. <laughs> we use our organic channels. To, to use a Simon Sinek kind of example, we, we're telling you our why, our reason for being, why you should gravitate towards us. And then everything that comes after that, the actual trying to sell of products follows on once you feel that you have some form of affinity.
0: Hello, bit of a different start. Me and my crap guitar. Richard Clark, actually, and his crap guitar. Well, not a crap guitar. It's, the guitar's fine if it's slightly out of tune. It's my playing that's the issue. Uh, welcome to Sports Content Strategy. A little bit of a different start because I thought, well, everyone starts the same way. Let's make it a little bit different and I can play some chords and have a little strum around while uh, I introduce this new podcast, which is with Grant Russell, who's head of digital. Brand and communications at Motherwell FC. And uh, this is a good conversation. Really enjoyed this one because we went down, deep down into the weeds on content strategy and how they've tried to tell a little bit of a different story. A different story that's kind of um, brought them a, uh, an award and brought them a lot of good press and made them stand out in a market that, in fairness to Scottish football, um, has been a little bit depressed in recent times, um, and obviously is dominated by two big teams. So yeah, um, as I say, my name's Richard Clark, and uh, I'm a consultant and a content creator and a writer and a journalist on sports digital and sport in general. If you need me, in uh, contact me at Mr Richard Clark on all uh, social um sports content strategies out there on social so follow me on linkedin and if you need any help with uh anything to do with digital content strategy story and brand as well um do let me know and um if you want to give me some reviews for this podcast that would be good good bad or indifferent um actually no strike that just good Um, you can put them on the usual providers that will help sell the podcast grow the podcast I was number 37 in Canada last month number 2 in Finland in terms of Apple marketing podcasts talk about brand endorsement Um, anyway we are going to turn to Scottish football and award winning Motherwell content with this man
1: My name is Grant Russell. I'm the head of media, brand and communications at Motherwell Football Club, so quite an all-encompassing role. But basically anything outbound in terms of content, marketing, brand, dealing with the press, you name it, that's my job here.
0: Thanks for speaking to me, Grant. We exist to improve people's lives. (laughs) That's your Twitter bio. now this is sports content strategy, right? I've uh, yeah. seen a lot of Twitter bios. I'm not quite sure I've seen one like that. But that seems to sum up where you're coming from as a club. So could you tell us, you know, for the benefit of, of people who don't know, a little bit about the background of your club, the ownership, the why, why it's slightly different, and where you're coming from with that statement?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Motherwell Football Club, just a uh it would be quite brutal about it. It's an unspectacular club on paper, isn't it? I mean, we exist in the shadow of Celtic and Rangers. Celtic are 50 miles from our door. Rangers are 20 miles from our door. And actually, we did a survey uh, of football fans in the area. Um, we found that 45% of them support Celtic and Rangers. So there's an immediate handicap straight away. The club's won four trophies in 135 years. Um, It's average league position in the last seven years. Uh, 30 years rather has been seventh place so we don't support motherwell for you know the success on the pitch the club is very much about a higher purpose and look i think a lot of clubs can kind of test to that that kind of ideal and and say um, we're community clubs we do this we do that we wanted to try and truly embody the spirit of our local area and our local people and what our place in that is and then live it so the idea of we exist to improve people's lives comes it comes on the football side first and foremost. It's a place that you come for. Park is a place to come and watch Motherwell, where you connect with your family, with your friends, where your life is enriched by having this, you know, this place you go every fortnight on a Saturday that has shared memories with with people that you can speak to. But then also we do a power of work in our local community. For example, we have a we have our own kind of epidemic here in, in um, young male suicide. And a lot of clubs, again, can attest to doing a lot of CSR and charity work. We really chase after the issues of that really, really matter to people in our local area. So we do a lot of strong, kind of close to the bone work in suicide prevention. Child poverty, one in four ch- um, children in our local area live in poverty. So we do a lot of work as well through the, you know work that our community trust, for example, or charitable arm is carrying out. But we tell those stories and we make that that's what our club is all about. Because a model football club is just to present itself as a football team, it wouldn't be a very attractive proposition to supporters and to commercial partners and whatnot if it was just to be another identity club and looking and it could survive and thrive relatively well. But if you actually want to grow a club, we wanted to be about something more and really nail to the mast what our colours were. And that's interesting because
0: anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that I've I have a an issue with. Every club doing exactly the same thing, yep. telling exactly the same story uh, from a social media perspective, from a content perspective, but also every club chasing success when it's yep. clear that it's not success that keeps them going. Because as you said, Motherwell have been in the top flight since, what, 85, won one trophy in that period of time. Always probably, you know, bottom half-ish, I would suspect. Um, But, you know, that applies to, you know, I'm I'm an Arsenal fan. I I worked for the club during the great years, but a lot of fans are unhappy now, but they haven't left. They haven't changed clubs. Sunderland, gone down a couple of divisions. Their fans haven't left. There's an identity that keeps you there, and it's not based around on-field success.
1: Thoughts? It's funny, we have this conversation and the initial conversation was what made people come to the football club in the first instance. And it, actually we went off on the wrong track because we got dragged along by by our parents, by our family, by our schools, by just because it was down the road or wanted to like the colours or like the players. But it's actually what what hooked you? What was it in those first three to nine to 12 months that converted you into becoming a supporter of your football club and those were the kind of deep questions we asked ourselves if we we're to truly understand what our values and purpose are as a club because it's one thing you talked about fan retention there to get all technical about it we know what kept you hooked but actually okay that is a big part of what we we do because you have to we want people to keep coming back you can be a supporter. You know, what the club needs is people to buy season tickets, to buy shirts and then, you know, have those revenue, those supporter numbers translating into a revenue as well. But what we also need to be able to do is find new people, because I think we'll always have that kind of core base as the generations go through. It might actually dip by five, 10 percent and football probably has a longer term issue of the supporter bases might fall. So we have to find the ways and actually establish ourselves as something more, as we touched on, as than a football club. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, the fans don't go away from Arsenal. They don't go away from Sunderland. They don't go away from Motherwell based on what's on the pitch. Yeah, fine. I mean, we can establish that. But how do we grow it as well? And it's easier for Arsenal because they're on a the, on the, on the global stage and success probably isn't too far away just to be the optimist. But at Motherwell, you know, what is it that hooks people in? Why would you want to become a Motherwell supporter unless you're from this area? And if I say supporter... You know, we're probably also not just chasing after the kind of first club fans. We're probably looking for this this new age of people that are wherever you're based in the world, where you can, if we can align with your core values as a person, your morals as a person, how can we get you on the hook? I, you know, I always don't say this from the off. We're a club that is owned by its supporters. <laughs> you know, everything is driven by what are, so, you know, that core identity. So if we can get people to feel that they're truly part of something and become, you know, an owner of our club, whether they're based in Motherwell or Malawi, you know, if they can, if they feel that there's that connection, that's something that, that applies to them, that's not about football, then that's how we grow our club as well. And that's to be quite cynically commercial about it. Um, but, you know, that that's the fundamental part of, if we can get people to become, they feel like it, so they're not supporting a team, they're not supporting us for success, but hey, I, something there is agreeable with me as a person, that's how we grow it further.
0: And I think that allies with what I perceive as a more millennial ethos, which is it's not just about profit, it's about purpose. And what you're trying to yeah. project here is purpose in the spirit of, of the club, right? So, so is that batting for you to a certain extent in terms of the problem you identified of growing new fans? Those fans will be younger fans and they want purpose. That's what we're told anyway.
1: I think we're all actually purpose driven, whether you actually realise it or not. Oh, yeah, okay you can really. be you can be a supporter of your club and like the, you know we get derided sometimes for we exist to, to improve people's lives or get tweeted that after we get beat three on a Saturday saying well you're not bloody improving my life but you know actually if you cut to the core you're a motherwell supporter for a reason that you've probably not even considered and so we're all purpose-driven to an extent and yes I, I realize generationally um, the idea of purpose-driven marketing or just being more purpose-driven people is you know is an, an evolving and an emerging thing but actually every football club should be thinking about what is the higher purpose that apply that gets people interested and hooked on my club and look I think there's probably not a ton of differentiation there I think there's probably still a lot of similarities <laughs> but as you how can you and it's a question we ask ourselves and it's the question when, when I speak about this is what is it about your club what is it about your, you know, your football club, your rugby club, whatever, that just hooks people in that 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 slight one or two percent difference that makes them interested in what you're all about and what purpose that you can align and they can align back with? That's where you can make the real gains. And that's where we feel we've had the success about being so intentional and so clear. And actually, not to not to kind of put out the fire a little bit, but I, I think a lot of places could do this so it's finding okay what is it about motherwell that sets us apart to make people um want to gravitate towards us more
0: and you identified a three-step process one identify your purpose two, know your audience three tell your stories now that's yeah. easy to say but it's always all about execution but let's talk about that one that number one identify your yeah. purpose because that's where we are at the moment you talk about emotional triggers and yep. finding something unique that drives fans so Just talk about the process you've already talked about a little bit, but talk about the process you went through to identify those triggers and find that uniqueness. Because a lot of what football clubs say is unique actually isn't unique to them. They're actually all telling the same stories and putting out the same content. So how did you find it different?
1: Really through asking a lot of questions. I mean, the base point was, you know, we... We kind of spoke to people in here, we spoke to supporters when we were and you know, and people around the club when we were trying to figure this out. And we thought and and, and the you know, it existed in people's heads to an extent, but it had never been committed to strategy or even committed to paper or, you know, we, we did our charity work or we 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 did the odd good thing because it felt like the right thing to do. But that was being that was coming from people rather than an embodiment of the club. And you were doing it kind of ad hoc. So Motherwell were already known for one or two things, but it it wasn't really because that was the club's philosophy. It was kind of coming from the people that were here. So we really sat down as a group and then through focus groups and through surveys of saying, okay, the key starting point for us was a perception-based exercise. So we spoke to as many people from as many different audiences, if you like, season ticket holders, uh, people who only come to the odd game, people that are based abroad. Um, people who don't support Motherwell at all, people who don't like football at all. I said, look, if we were to put these perceptions in front of you, how much do you agree that they relate to Motherwell Football Club or don't? What have you heard? What have you not heard? And we took those perceptions that people, the preconceived ideas people already had about us and started to build out from there. And then that that was an opportunity for us to then say, okay, well, Motherwell already has this, sort of positioning as the club of the people the club that really advocates for it for its local community those kind of things i thought okay we want to if that's what people believe we are as what our customers supporters think that we are already and that's what the broader world is already telling us then and that's what we already can intrinsically think we're doing then let's do it let's build it and truly live it you know that let's make that mother well so from there, it's really an exercise you went through of, I'll say, OK, it was ticking a lot of the boxes of what you've already said. You know, what, what's our purpose for existing? Who are the people we serve? How are people relating to us? What's our iconography? What are the triggers that make people stay loyal? What makes us unique? Okay, some of those are unique points May actually apply at other clubs But as long as people believe it And feel that that's part of their identity You know, what's the embodiment of our of our, our club as well? And also, quite importantly Especially in Scottish football What are the barriers to, to success? And then from there, really building out And saying, okay, this is our mission statement We exist to improve people's lives But that's not enough What sits underneath that? What are the values that sit underneath that that make that statement true? And then what principles are we going to live by off off of those values and off of that mission statement that will truly communicate that this is Motherwell Football Club? And then the most important thing, the most important thing was to never deviate from it. Because if you build something, if you're building a brand, if you're building an ethos as a club, and then you, particularly from a content point of view, because that's where people see you, when you're making content and putting things out, if you start deviating from what you claim to be, no one's going to believe you. So we really doubled down, really doubled down hard on from a content approach, just to slightly move on from after the brand approach is there, we will not tell a single story that does not apply to what we're trying to achieve as a club. Because if we're, if we're not, then what are we doing? You know, if we, if we try and tell different stories, if we try and go off on a tangent, we're completely defying what we supposedly stand for. And actually, if you want to cut through the noise and you want to be knowing, known for a higher purpose and stand out from these identical clubs that make the same content all the time, you, you, you need to tell your stories hard. <laughs> you really need to chase after it. Really intentional storytelling. And I've jumped from point one to point three there, Richard, but um, you know that, 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 was, that was our approach. Build that brand. Speak to as many people as possible. Clearly say, this is a road we want to go down because this is what people are already telling us they believe about Motherwell Football Club. Double down hard on it and properly tell those stories. And I think that's how we're kind of cutting through.
0: It was interesting in the document you sent me in preparation for this, you talked about to amplify, you must specify. And I think that's I think that sums it up really well because as a journalist, the one skill that's been lost between my time starting as a journalist, journalist now, is There's a constriction of, there was a constriction of space back in the day with a newspaper. So you had to decide what you left out and you prioritized naturally. And the trouble, one of the problems with content these days, journalism these days, but content is because there's infinitive space. People want to throw everything at it. But as you say, you're nailing down. This is who we are. These are the three things that we're going to be or the two things that we're going to be. And we're going to nail them and we're going to create every push, every story through that lens. So the question is, what did you leave out and how hard was it to keep people on that track of this is who we are? That's a great story, but it's not us. So we're not doing it because that's the hard bit. Right.
1: Wow. No one's ever asked me, what did you leave out? And and that's kind of interesting because I think I've now just lived this process so much. I'm so like drilled down into what we are doing and not what we're not. (laughs) Here's a slightly controversial one that that a lot of people at clubs might just, um, especially in commercial departments, will suddenly scream. We stopped trying to sell to people. (laughs) (laughs) We stopped as much as possible on organic social media saying we have a product, come and buy it. It's like, we stop that. We use our organic channels to make you, you know, to use a Simon Sinek kind of example, we're telling you our why, our reason for being, why you should gravitate towards us, everything that, that we do. And then everything that comes after that, the actual trying to sell of products follows on once you feel that you have some form of affinity. I see far too many clubs will use social media space to say, um, we've got £5 off tickets And they put that on their Twitter feed For example Their Twitter feed Where if they actually look at their demographics Let's let's just pick a I'm not going to name a club But let's just say it's a UK based club Where if they actually looked at their demographics 60% of people are in the UK Okay so we've immediately got an audience of 40% Aren't going to buy a ticket And then probably you could broaden that out Because UK is so big and Not everyone's going to travel Let's say it's a London club And no one's going to travel from Newcastle Or Edinburgh or Aberdeen But if you're just putting out on social media saying, buy this £5 off your ticket, you're not getting it in front of the right people. You are literally wasting your real estate, that opportunity to tell your story. When actually, you know, there are great paid social tools and that's what we use instead to go after the people that actually want to buy your thing. (laughs) So that was the kind of main thing we left out. Uh, I'm sure there are kind of other things around the match and, and other bits and pieces, but that was the kind of main one of saying, let's stop using social media as some sort of conversion tool. This is about making people aware what we are all about and getting them on the hook. And then we'll chase them hard after that. Don't get me wrong. We will properly go after them and try and convert them into members or convert them to buy a ticket or a shirt. But you have to take people on a journey first. It is the classic sign up for an email list and within 24 hours you're getting asked to buy this product and that product and that product. Oh, I'm gonna unsubscribe. Stop it. <laughs> and the same has to apply to your social media. If I start following Motherwell and then I'm based in Australia and the next day, oh, I'm seeing on my social feed you know how it works algorithmically. If things get inflated to the top they don't necessarily if you if your feed is, is curated that way, especially on on any social media channel platform, in fact you can get served that that selling message rather than the message that's actually about what gets you interested. And I think that's where a lot of clubs make the mistake. They focus far too much on the pressure to sell rather than actually trying to use these platforms to tell stories, build affinity and build strong communities. The selling comes as a result of strong marketing. It's essentially what it is.
0: Yeah, it's the Gary Vaynerchuk, isn't it? It's jab, jab, jab. Ah, Yes, (laughs) Jab, 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 right hook. Well, I think it's, more than three jabs but it's it's, uh, it's uh, what I always I always say when I when I deal with clients is I normally say look if you start creating content on a saturday most of your commercial directors are going to want to start selling things on probably tuesday morning i think you only want to sell products <laughs> on friday afternoon you know, you've got to do, go through all that content. Um, extrapolating that out to the to the to the fact you have to create value, create create brand, create a different story constantly. Tell that story, get into people's hearts, wheedle your way in, yeah. and then just say, "Look, you know, here we are. We're entertaining. Do we fit with you? Are we up your street? Well, here's something you might want to purchase," kind of thing. But that but- is
1: exactly it. Yeah. You've, but, you've basically just taken my five minute ramble and a nice 10 seconds. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
0: just to go back to the document you sent me, which was a very good document. And you talked about amplifying to be sp- specific, understanding mm. what makes your club special. Now here's, here's something, and this is maybe I'm going to do the same thing and sum it up. You did it with focus groups. I, I did some talks when I was talking to clubs in Indonesia, I went all over Indonesia, spoke to her to those clubs and what I did with them was say, look, because the Indonesia fans are extremely vocal, extremely passionate, fantastic TIFOs and things like that. Sometimes a bit naughty, but very passionate. Um, and I said, go out into the stands and write down everything your fans sing. Because what your fans sing, what do your fans sing about as to why their club is special? What Your fans will be telling you either what they are or what they're not. And that's what I told them to do because it, it wasn't really a focus group kind of environment but um, <laughs> but but the, the fans reaction to the stories that you've presented are they behind that are you noticing that from the terraces from the comments as well are they on board because that's the ultimate test right
1: yeah I, I, and I think it's from two distinct audiences it's your, it's your fan base and then it's the broader football world or let, let's say the Scottish football world because we do still exist in a bit of a bubble and vacuum here and the amount of comments that we get from people, okay, mainly through social media, but you know, it's a good, it's a good litmus test, isn't it? Of people, every time you put out a great community or charitable focus piece, they have a volume of comments saying, you know, I'm proud, this is my club, this is what I truly believe in. Look, we did a we did a survey recently, we every year we do a kind of perception reinforcement exercise um, to the entire membership base, and we're a huge uptake in it. And again, it's running through all those um, values that we think we have. And so one of them is, you know, uh, off the top of my head, it was Motherwell is a club that exists to, um, you know, is, it, truly, it truly exists to improve people's lives. And on a scale of one to five, it's coming back from season ticket holders on a, on a 4.5. You know, so actually that, that, that shows that this ideal has really cut through with folk. And that is because, I'd like to think, it's because of that really strong storytelling. It is one thing. Look, there are so many businesses and so many clubs in the world that will say, hey, we have a mission statement. We have values. What you're saying here is not unique in the slightest. Perhaps not. But what I'm saying to you is I see so many of your social media feeds and your marketing. And you're so focused on just uh, getting from one game to the next and good players and, and, and all that kind of stuff and try to sell stuff. I can barely tell some clubs apart. Um, of what they're supposed to stand for, you have to push that message hard, and that's what people. You know, it's coming back, and people are saying in our uh, supporter base from the the surveys we've done and from the comments we get that yeah, this is cutting through, and people can clearly identify what Motherwell Football Club is, and actually, even the broader Scottish football world. I don't want to name the club, but there's one club in Scotland who would be perceived to be one of the more charitable clubs, and. It's got to the stage where every time um, we do something, um, their supporter base is absolutely harassing the other their club, saying, "Look at Mullerwell. Um, why are we not doing this? This is what we're supposed to stand for." You know, and I'm not I'm not taking any kind of sad kind of uh, glory from our or, or kind of happiness from that, but it shows that the the uh, this way we've positioned ourselves is truly cutting through into people that even care about Mullerwell Football Club, but they can clearly see. That's what we stand for and what we're all about. And just a slight tangential point, what we discuss in here quite often, especially with Alan Burrows, our chief exec, is are we a club with a cause or are we a cause with a club attached? (laughs) And it's trying to tread that line between, you know, it's not like football is just a secondary thing. No, the football club, you know, the 90 minutes on a Saturday is the reason we're here. But it's building something around that and having a higher purpose around it. So I don't think we would necessarily be accused and certainly not from our feedback. We literally asked that question. Where do you think we stand on a scale one to five of being a charity to a club? And it still came out quite favourably on the football club side, but people still clearly um, know and have the message resonate with them that Motherwell Football Club has that higher purpose. So it's cutting through. On the list of... Uh,
0: items that sort of built your strategy, amplifying to be being specific to amplify understanding what makes your club special. We've done those two. And then it was build target audiences that mirror your ideas. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What's that process and what audiences did you end up up with? And also audiences you leave out. That's the other thing, right? If you're going to be targeted, of course, you're going to leave all the audiences out. I had this with, with MLS, which was very focused on the millennial audience and the Hispanic audience, but left families alone, which was, I found that really interesting, but you know, it's it's work for them. What was your process? Who did you go for? Who who did you leave out? Any pinch points in that process?
1: Well, to be, to be quite frank, we're still trying to appeal to all comers because we're, we're at that point where you know the club has five and a half thousand season ticket holders, which is a, a big increase. Um, it's normally been around the three and a half four four mark, but we we're still trying to get to that point where we have these not a single defined target audience because a football club can never have a, just a one target audience or one segmented audience but we're also we're still trying to spread out and say okay is this something that you are interested in so the actual we're not segmenting to a degree okay we will do campaigns for example we um our season tickets for children are free um, and if not, it's you know, it's £3 for, for a child to get into a game. So we chase families hard, for example, and try and get them hooked in that way, and it goes back to that discussion about what got you hooked um, on Motherwell Football Club, and it was probably one, you know, one strong one that comes out is that connection it gave me with, with my family. Um, we'll also go after like general football fans in the area. We will target Celtic and Rangers fans and try and give this proposition of this is an alternative. If you're disillusioned, this is what Motherwell will do. If you let, so, so we, through our segmented audiences, we stay hyper-local at the moment. I talked earlier about trying to uh, have those values and take that out to the wider world and see who we can pull in as members, but that, we're not really at that stage, but we're kind of hyper-local in our local area to say, we're here, this is what we're doing. Do we appeal to you? And then, based on our on the way we do our paid social, different uh, copyright and different imagery on different segments. Whether it's families, whether it's guys aged eighteen to forty, um, you want to try and uh, push the idea of the uh, the the ultra section or even if it's trying to create family bonds, at a higher age group, if it's maybe people that um, through the Facebook targeting that have maybe moved back to the area and trying to create adverts around rekindling your relationships with your family through Motherwell Football Club. But what they kind of make really important thing in those segments is trying to create those funnels. And this is a real challenge, and we're still very much on this journey. I spoke about not rushing to sell the idea of the email and within 24 hours, you're getting bombarded with stuff you're never going to buy. And look, we're just like, we're just starting out in the journey proper um, with Sports Alliance with CRM, which is really going to help us massively as well, is creating these unique funnels and on the welcome journey for supporters that are coming in. If we want to talk about acquisition first of saying, okay, where do you sit? So we know how to target you at the right time to you know, identify what your interest level is in our club. So not push it too hard, but push it enough. So we try and get you on the hook and knowing exactly when to pounce on people and try and convert them. That's the key for me. So I think you can have different segments and chase different audiences. And we're never going to be super narrow specific apart from um, keeping it local. But what is actually more important is knowing when the right moment and funneling our, um, our limited resources into really going for the people that actually are interested. That's your segment. That's your key segment, folk who care. <laughs> um, you could talk about demographics and, and all that off the back of that, but actually the key kind of segment is folk that actually are, would care to be interested in it and just walking them through the process gradually or fast if they look like they're there. So that's a real challenge, a real challenge, and you're going to be data-led on that, and that's kind of our next phase, building out audiences intentionally rather than just um, building it and hope they come. So you're starting to build personas?
0: Are you starting to put names to those personas, faces to those personas? but As as
1: much as you can. Again, I think... (laughs) We've done, we have, I know I'm going to be quite contrary to a lot of what other people might say, we have built personas before and it's easy to build those, and look, we we, we do have these personas and we'll continue to build them out. I think that sits at your top tier, that sits at your top end, these personas, but there's so much more underneath. Okay, like I said, we have the family with the young kids kind of persona, we have the a teenager but a guy in his 20s and 30s who would probably quite like to have a beard at the football and <laughs> that you can't have in Scotland um, and or they'd like to have the kind of or the kind of more kind of colorful and, and rowdy match experience you have these personas and we do target messaging based on that especially around tickets around season ticket renewals in particular we have them for that but we our marketing exists 12 months a year it's not just campaign based and that's why i talk about we don't focus on the personas so much for that we are actually just we're more focused on our story and pulling people in and if you're interested and then we can pull you into a segment of persona right okay we'll do that after but we're never doing top level chasing based on personas uh, on on the day-to-day which i know might sound a bit contrary um but, yeah, that's what kind of been our thinking on it.
0: And what about the day-to-day of running a team and trying to make sure everyone's on track and everyone's on board with what is a very strict strategy?
1: I kind of worry as a leader um, with the team when it's, I mean, it's day-to-day and there's not a lot. So you probably sit down and say, here's our strategy, off you fly. <laughs> and there's not a lot of time to for them and me to reflect and say, is this necessary? Your your time for reflection tends to come at the end of a season. There's not a lot of on the fly reflection and you, you find yourself in the grind and look, people have it within them to innovate and to try and find new ways of doing things that comes from, from within. But with such a small team or when you're so focused and so kind of up against it, you can't, there's a danger of getting repetitive. So it's about having really, and we're really fortunate, the whole team here. I mean, I should have said it's myself and three others. And we have Laura, who's our video producer, Alistair, who's our graphic designer, photographer, and Scott, who, um, who has a focus on our charitable and our women's team, um, but also is a kind of great all-rounder too. And that is the extent of it. That's the extent of the team here. So there is definitely a need. You, you want to try and grow people and you want to try and push them on. And it can be hard because it's almost like you're doing nothing but learning on the job. And there's like many advantages to that. I think if you actually truly want to grow people, as well as grow what you're what you're doing you need to be able to take that half step back and you need your 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 team to be able to take that half step back and it's much much harder regardless of how specific you want to get i mean we really cut down the quantity of content here and focus on quality and i don't mean i don't necessarily mean visuals i mean quality of storytelling and that's actually also to give a little bit of breathing space and to actually be able to find these great stories and tell these great stories
0: i was going to say that certainly one of my piece of advice I've always said is once you've got that story out there and you're known for that, it's a matter of doing less better. But the other thing I was going to say, when you do have those, and and also you say there's a grind, well, to mix my metaphors, you you kind of grind out a groove on a weekly basis and you fit into that groove. It's Thursday afternoon, right? I need to be doing this. It's Friday morning. Okay. I need to be doing that. And it becomes a little bit identical. Yeah. And so you end up doing the same thing. So that ability to create space for your content team thinking space is is all important but also going with something uh, and almost being like an editor in a newsroom saying okay okay we'll go with that story knowing it might be it might be a dead end but it might turn out to be great and you need the resources yeah. to to allow people to to chase something different
1: yeah and that's why we have such a specific strategy that, that is one of the main main things it's like we're, we're only going to tell stories under these four pillars it's you're talking about the match and the narrative of, of the team's season and trying to control that. We're telling the stories of the players to try and amplify them and give them because we're a, we're a selling club and we try and build the personalities of the players. There is tell the great stories of things that pull people together through shared memories and nostalgia. And then the, the, the kind of people content, as we call it, the, the charitable and, and amplification of local issues. And if you have that strategy and you know, right, I'm only telling these stories that massively helps a small team because you're not, there's no really room for ambiguity. It's like the the, the guys know they just need to hit one of those things. You know, I mean, one of those pillars and one of the guiding principles that sit underneath and then that's it. That's all I care about. You know, it's like I try not as a kind of leader of it, micromanage, we're all guilty of it, but micromanage the story. It's like, see, as long as you understand the story you're trying to tell and it falls within the pillar, go and tell that story. And I think the team here are fantastic for that of because they have such a clear brief, there's no room for ambiguity <laughs> and it's so hyper-specific. That helps, helps incredibly. Do you leave money on
0: the table commercially? And if so, how are those discussions handled?
1: <laughs> Outside of my remit um, day-to-day is there's a commercial manager. Oh,
0: I but, think but in branded content I mean there's content there's sponsorship oh, for example and things like that a
1: little more Yeah diverse. look, Scottish football's not so advanced in the brand partnership I mean we're still very heavily focused on brand placement with the with the with the um, businesses and the commercial partners that we're dealing with but like, the shift is the, the shift's already happening the world's already changed you know we're just kind of gradually getting there um, I would say we were starting to be a lot more intentional in the the partners that we're bringing in when it comes to branded partnerships, for example, with our main shirt partner, Paycare, they are um, a not-for-profit organization in, in healthcare, which is you know, a great one for us. It's, it's an easy one to tell their stories and conversely um, for them to tell ours. We're partnered with TCL, a kind of branch of Alcatel, um, which is about um, trying to get cheap technology into the hands of people who can't afford necessarily high-end mobile phones or tablets or computers. And that kind of aligns with us as well. So it's actually trying to find those partners. And look, nine times out of 10, we live in the world, especially in Scottish football, where the the margins are so tight. You say, oh, what's your ideal partner? And it's like the one that gives us the most money. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true anyway. But we're getting through our brand strategy and through truly understanding what we are as a club, we're getting to the stage where, I don't want to go too into it, but we're actually turning away partners now that don't fit necessarily and I won't I won't delve into the 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 who or why um on a kind of public podcast but it's kind of refreshing to me that it's like it's one thing to have a brand strategy and it's one thing to tell great stories but you've got to live it as a club and so the fact that we're actually you know potentially turning away partners because they don't align with our principles it's where you're leaving money on the table sure but it means that you're actually not um you're not lying and that's as hard it's hard to turn away cash and I'm glad it's not me that has to make that final decision. Um, But again, I think it's another example of it's a club that is actually living what it, what it it stands for rather than just an empty rhetoric.
0: But there is an argument, of course, it is growing your revenue season ticket sales up 22%. Now, is that, how much of that is down to this story that you're telling the way you're marketing the club? I mean, it's, that's an impossible question to answer, but but do you see it as strongly influential in, in, in that 22%? It,
1: there's no hard evidence yet, because we're not going out and ask people, did you buy a season ticket because of X yet? Um, <laughs> I could be completely wrong, but I would be amazed if the, the revenue growth wasn't so substantial because at least part of it was people felt attracted to the club by what it stands for and and how people have been able to relate to it. There is always going to be a latent audience here. And I think it's probably around the three and a half thousand mark um, of people that will come, come hell high water. Okay. You might get percentage drop as, as generations and, and the world changes as we continue to evolve for the next 20, 30 years. But <laughs> I know it, it, it really irks me as a kind of data led marketeer <laughs> and content person to actually be sitting here going, yeah, I'm pretty sure, but, In the lack of evidence, I would seriously, seriously like to think that it's because we can clearly communicate what we stand for and people can feel that attachment to it. Um, And that type of growth over the pre-COVID to post-COVID years is incredible. And I use the revenue growth number because actually the the actual physical number of tickets has grown incredibly because we gave away, for example, we, we committed this year well, we gave away, for a for starter, um, we gave away um, our season tickets to everyone who bought in the COVID year for free. So there's a little bit of kind of, the, the number, the 22% number is actually taking into account 2020 sales as well. But if you bought a season ticket last year, you didn't get into any games, we gave you a season ticket for free. So that increases the number, of course. And then we we did a scheme where we asked people if they were planning to buy a season ticket, they weren't counting on them um, getting the one for free would they consider putting the money in so people who are unemployed or on low income in the local area could they get a season ticket this year um and the take up for that was nearly a thousand people so we've got five and a half oh and also we give away free kids season tickets so the actual season ticket number is five and a half thousand it's by far and above our record number ever um so I try not cheap when I use those numbers <laughs> because I could I could probably give a far sexier number of growth, but the actual you know we're trying to measure real growth and the twenty two percent. I would certainly like to think a good percentage of that is because people feel that this is a club that they identify with and want to be part of. And I think over the next two or three years, the key judge of that will probably be the retention rate, um, as much as the as the growth rate. And retention rate is impossible this year, unfortunately, because we gave them away. <laughs>
0: just another number six hundred and sixty six pounds of value per thousand followers
1: really interested in that yeah what
0: what, what does that mean how's that calculated <laughs> can you back that up grant can you back that up i'm gonna nail uh, you. i'm gonna try so, my go
1: best because look it was the guys <laughs> at um, horizon um who we've been doing a little bit of, of work with and they let us into their platform so it's value per 1000 followers so it's I'm pretty sure the calculation is um, the amount of engagements on your posts, um, and then divided by the number of posts, and then the amount of followers that you have, and then they will monitor the the, the value of a of a post based on the amount of engagements uh, based on the market rate. So it's a little bit arbitrary because you know what do people pay for an ad comes down to what they're willing to pay.
0: It's very close to the Nielsen model, from what I can see. Is that yeah. right? I think so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but for then to, so it, it then came back from that, that our value per 1,000 followers is 666 pounds, and I'm building out all these tables of every sports property in the world, and nobody was coming close. <laughs> and it's like, okay, I try not to get too hung up on that because I'm not. But I think it's, 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 it's another way for us to, you know, communicate that we have a hyper-engaged, super, super-engaged fan base that are truly uh, engaging with the stories that we, we are telling. And so there has to be a value in that if you are a potential commercial partner. Of course there is. Okay, we can't give you the scale of Man United or Man City or Barcelona, but what we can put you in front of people that are so invested in our club and if your values align and your products align with that, you're going to have a lot of success and it should be very, very valuable to you um, because this is what Horizon are <laughs> telling us our, uh, our value is. And look, we work with Blinkfire Analytics as well who tell us, um, you know similar things on the, on the value of posts and like we, our, our challenge is trying to commercialize that more but what I like to use it as is, is evidence that what we are doing is engaging people so so much and I posted on LinkedIn the other day as well um, our average engagement over November um, I stacked us against La Liga clubs, MLS, Bundesliga and we were in like the top Three or four, if we were put into these leagues in terms of average engagement. And I don't like to get hung up on engagement numbers. There are no KPIs on engagement numbers, but again, it's evidence that the stories we are telling are attracting people.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are damn lies, 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 and social media statistics, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 it does build up to a portfolio of you're going the right way and telling the right story, but yeah. those reflective times that you have at the end of the season, when you can catch breath, <laughs> and you talked about being a, a data-led marketeer. How much is it purely data, and how much is it feel, tone, emotion? Oh.
1: We can't. <laughs> the data-led marketeer says we can't be too wedded to the numbers. But I'll try and qualify that. Um, it kind of goes back to what I'm talking about about engagement. We use that to see and judge what types of stories are really cutting through but there is also a, a need especially when it's the football content especially a team the fans always say mother the mother support mother was like a roller coaster it's kind of the cliche so i'm never going to sit down at the end of a season and look at our data after ah, we were just being horsed five nil or 6-1 was the case earlier this season and try and make some sort of data-led judgment on oh, the content we did around that was right. <laughs> you know, a lot of it has to be about you said the feel, but I think it's about setting the tone and setting the narrative. You and I will never ever look at the numbers on things like this. So we sit down at the start of the season and we have conversations internally on the football side. What should this season look like? What you know, so for example, this season, high squad turnover a lot of new players, but a lot of investment in players, which is quite rare from other goals. some Transfer fees paid, boys coming in on long contracts. So it's set a narrative around that. Because if we try, if you don't control your tone of voice, your messaging through every bit of content you do on social media or anything outwards, if you just go match to match and say, oh, that was a bad result, that was a good result, you have absolutely no hope of controlling the perception and narrative of what supporters feel and think. So we create this central story at the start of the season for this season something along the lines of excuse me new squad temper your expectation this is an investment in a squad it's a team that could go somewhere but we're just going to have to you know it's, it's going to be that roller coaster but trust us we might just get somewhere if you just you know just, just come along on the journey with us because as a team it's going to have to learn as they go Team, guys are not used to Scottish football Scottish football is unpredictable anyway So just try and stay with us And try and control that sentiment through that narrative So everything we do, but it's 5-0 win, never happens 6-1 defeat tends to happen at least once a season Just tie back to that narrative as much as you can And look, don't get me wrong I've read the comments People that uh, Honestly, after we get beat 6-1 I see people saying, if that Motherwell media team Bloody say this after this game And it's like, okay <laughs> So people are wise to it but it's like if you can just try and remind people of what we're trying to do rather than just go one game to the next, you can keep people on side a lot more.
0: That's really interesting, right? Because Scotland are in the playoffs for the World Cup, right? You're in the playoffs. Yeah, right. Okay. So I am am really looking forward to whatever the tone of the, assuming you get there, I'm hoping you get there, the tone of the Scottish World Cup song. Because in 78... (laughs) It was, we're on the march with Ali's We're going to win yep. the thing. And in uh, 98, it was, don't come home too soon, which is yep. a huge tone. <laughs> but I don't know. Is it, I'm, I'm really glad we're there? or what? You
1: know, I, I, that was probably the Euros. Some of the Euros were really good. <laughs> you know, I, but I see, but, I, but, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But
0: the point I'm making is about your tone is that most of the clubs around the world will have a, a much more bullish tone than, well, maybe it will be okay and something will happen kind of thing. But it does fit with this uh, downtrodden gallows humour that Scottish football has at times. <laughs> is that fair to say? I mean, this is a, yeah, global, no, is. a global podcast. I'm asking a Scott, but that's certainly the way yeah. I see it. Sometimes it's a little bit, when you're successful, you get right behind it. But a lot of the times it's like, oh, this is going to be a struggle. and But we'll be there anyway, and we'll be really passionate yeah. about it
1: it probably is just a scotch thing because we're soaking it down on ourselves yeah. but i think for a, a club like ours especially it's like we know what we are there's no point lying about it and it's like if you get too high when you're high and too low when you're low you know the way that you portray yourself reflects on your fan base and it's like the like there's a bit of protectionism in what we do it's like if we lose five on a bounce and you're not trying to tell this realistic story and you're just letting this Stuff happen, you're letting the press control it, you're letting people on social media control. well we're rubbish, we're going down. If you don't intervene, if you don't try and tell a, a create a central tone, it puts people's jobs in danger. That's the kind of that's the kind of really harsh reality of it. I'm not saying we're trying to like control people's minds, that's not what I'm saying, but it's like it's trying to constantly remind people of you know, come on, guys, it's mothable, and it's like it's like, come on, guys, it's like this, you have to have certain expectations about this team. You have to have certain expectations about where we stand. And it's not I a, a try to avoid what you said of trying to say we can never aspire to be anything, but it's having that realism. And if you can portray that realism, if you can kind of remind people constantly, then you've got a greater chance of everyone being united, you know, and everyone feeling like we're not in a crisis. I mean, I can't, in my time here, I can only really think we've been in total crisis once um and even then even then you're you're kind of frantically paddling under the surface of trying to just say like you know but 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 you know and okay maybe that that runs out after a while um and maybe it did at that point but 99 percent of the time pull people back and remind them and ignore the, the comments of people saying i don't want to hear this crap <laughs> but you know it's um it's, it's so important it's so important we have a you know we we have this platform you know it's marketing it's like it's trying to tell people it's like look this is what we are come on um in the good times and the bad and that i feel that keeps people with you it's like those triggers again isn't it that's what keeps people with you um so that's what we do and again is it successful I'll leave it up to other people's interpretation. Um, but, you know, I, I'd like to think... My whole time here, we've only changed manager once. And it's because he left. And that was at the point of the real crisis. We've been fairly steadily mediocre. <laughs> with some really good highs and some really low lows. But it feels like everyone's with us still. And I'm not saying that's because of what we do. But I'd like to think it plays a part. What about the yeah. wider communications? Because obviously you're, you're in
0: charge of communications. What's the external press? How do they treat the club are they still with the narrative of you know it's, it's about success on the pitch or are they
1: feeding into that wider community-based angle I like to think they, they feed into the wider what this club is so yeah there's a community angle and it's that realism of you don't know what a season is going to be like and also what I talked about of players you know this is a place where we will players will come in and on day what not day one because we let them settle in let's say day four um, Laura and our department will sit down with a player and say hey I know you're at motherwell but come on what are you what, why are you really here um and it's like well you know because I want to try and move to the English championship or I want to you know um, or I want to get a call up to my international team or something like that and it's a club that accepts that that this is a place where people come to try and develop and, and grow their lives and grow their careers um and, and we don't we don't judge as a supporter base or, or as a club and some people do stay for life and we love them as well. We will literally sit down with them and say, okay, we want to try and build an image around you to help you enhance your career. And it helps the club as well. Cause if we bought you for nothing and sell you for a million pound, happy days. So a lot of what we do through the press as well is giving, we enable our players to say, okay, these are your, it's, again, it's the, it's a specification of, of message. We say to players, well, that's where you want to get to. We'll tell your story really hard. We'll kind of push your story really hard if this is what you're all about as a person and as a player. I mean, you go out externally, stick to those tenants as well. And the guy who likes this, and I want to achieve this, and I'm this type of player. And don't deviate from that as well. Um, and I think that really helps in the kind of wider external because, look... I was previously a journalist as well, and you know, I hope I'm not upsetting anyone here. But a lot of a lot of journalists really don't want to be spoon fed, but they want to just like they want you to tell them. You know, they'll go and, we'll go and do great research. But you know, if there's a friendly person in the club, you can say, oh, what's he like as a player? What, what can you tell me about him? What's the story about him?" And you can control that, and then that's the question that they ask. Perfect. And uh, you know, the press here are really good for that. Um, you know they'll come to you and go what's your they want to know rather than just go in for the kind of generic uh, rubbish they want to try and find it a bit more about a person and it means you can get great wider um, publicity for a player based on interesting things rather than the same old cliched stuff.
0: I notice you take them out a lot in the community I mean look some of your videos especially the documentaries and um, there was the chap who went to the food bank the Ugandan player who you were taking out but they're literally around the town and yep. I mean I've seen other teams do it but it seems you do it a little bit more, Is that that's deliberate is it?
1: Yeah, we want to take them out somewhere that people will recognise um, that's out of the football environment um, and look actually I, I, I if I'm thinking off the top of my head most of them we'll see to player, would you like to go? Where do you normally go? Which might be a little bit dangerous. Where do you normally go for a walk? What do you do in your spare time? What's your hobby? And we'll take them and we'll do it. Like Bevis uh, McGabby our or Ugandan player like just likes to get out and explore Scotland. So it's like, oh we know this place, we'll we'll take you out. And it was a it was a beautiful castle with uh, uh and the snow was on the ground and it was very but and Tony Watt, who went to our food bank, is uh um a really kind of people charitable person. So it's like okay, let's you know, let's um let's get you out there doing a bit of charity work, you know. But I was, it is sort of intentional to take them out to local places but it's actually just because it's actually what they're really living and I think that's what's the great authenticity about it it's like it's their real life it's not manufactured most for the majority of the time so I say where'd you go well come on we'll go and we'll just wander about and you can show a local setting and I think people really like that because you, again you see comments on things saying oh that's near my house so I take my dog there or and it builds that great connection I mean we, we launched our, um, our second our away kit last season and the campaign was so no sorry it wasn't the away kit it was when we signed new players we took them so the, the away kit that year was the colors of our first ever kit it was a nice kind of petrol blue so when a player signed we would drive them somewhere in the town and they would they were, their announcement photography would be done at different places around the town and not necessarily places like i'm not from motherwell so it's not necessarily places that you and i would like famous uh, parts of motherwell if there is such a thing it was like the things that people who live here would recognize the kind of local landmarks like really even kind of like really niche kind of landmark um points where people are like oh, i can't believe that player was down at that place or i can't believe he was there and it was just especially in covid times um, when the fans were locked out was helping to build those really strong bonds and connections as well. It's like, well, there's Callum Lang standing in the house in the state round the corner from me. What's he doing up there? That's incredible. But yeah, it's really simple stuff, isn't it? And I think if you, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll, just circle back to the brand strategy. If you, if it's there, if you understand it, if you live it, these things come, come easy. They're like second nature. This
0: community-based club, doing good for the community, started before COVID. Has the attitude now we are not post covid but becoming post covid has it has it moved towards uh, has has covid made people even get on board even more that, that that's what i'm saying um
1: i'm not Sure. I, I No, I wouldn't say necessarily. I think when people started coming back to stadiums, you know, we were the the the, the message, or we were kind of really reinforcing the message of just how important it is to your life to, to be here and how grateful we are to have you. And we saw a lot of sentiment then from people. Um, but no, it, it was funny because when we hit COVID times, we were already doing all these things. So it was like... <laughs> The work we did through COVID in the community was just an extension of what we do. And the storytelling is just an extension of what we do. And now we're coming through the other side to touch wood. Um, We're just carrying on the same path. (laughs) You know, I've never really thought of it like that. I've never, I've not felt that people feel it more or that we've uh, doubled our efforts. We've kind of stayed on a kind of straight line. And I don't really know... I guess the the reason for that is because just because it's what we do. <laughs> so no, I've not I've not actually, which have really kind of, you know, stopped and thought. I oh, actually, COVID's really reinforced this. Maybe I should ask some people, but no, I think we've just um, we've just carried on the straight and narrow the whole way through. Do the ultras get it? Are they behind? <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah, I like to think so. Mm. Yeah, because like, we speak we speak with it with a few of them as well. Um, I certainly speak with, with one of the guys quite often who's really kind of invested um, in what we are trying to do. And actually, especially in our suicide prevention work and that kind of real community activism, our ultras are very focused that way. You know they're all young guys, so like they, they understand the issues in the local area because they experience or they, they know someone who's experienced a lot of the of the things that we are working, the areas that we are working in. So they're very heavily invested that way. Um our ultras, the well boys as they're called, or blocky as they also call themselves, I better get the I better remember all the terminologies, they do a power of work themselves in the areas of suicide prevention. So there's a lot of overlap and a lot of kind of shared kind of experiences there. So I think that's where they get it most. I think that's actually probably for guys that age, it might just be another little factor in what keeps them hooked because they feel like they are part of a club that is embracing them, but also embracing the issues that matter to them. Um, that truly affect their lives and the people around them. So they seem quite engaged in that sense. And look, I think we can always do a power more for the fan experience. It's a Scottish football issue, a cultural issue. We can always do so much more to empower them. Um, But I like to think as well, it's within our um, our ethos that we try and find those ways. It's incumbent on us to try and find those ways to to grow those relationships and grow, you know, their... um, their fandom and the noise and the colour that they bring to the games.
0: you mentioned colour. Good segue because the only thing I thought is when I think about Motherwell and I don't, in fairness, I don't think about Motherwell that often, (laughs) but the one thing that is absolutely unique is the Claret and Amber, which is, I don't don't know another club that has Claret and Amber. I I don't know if there is one in the world, Uh, but they're very unique. And perhaps I thought, are you using the colour, given that total uniqueness of those colours in unison, you know, I'm even looking at the background of the office that you're in, and they're not. It's not apparent. It's not, not apparent. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. Is there yeah. anything in that? Have I spotted anything, or is there a reason? No, for to this?
1: be fair, the rest of the stadium is claret. <laughs> Everywhere <laughs> is claret. <laughs> our strips actually came from Bradford City. Um, ah, okay. It was a guy who um, we actually just um, liberated one of our, the first ever strip from from a local museum to put into our own museum here but it was, I think I'll get the story right, that the, the player was down there and it was part of the transfer agreement that um, we got a set of strips or something to that extent. So there's actually great stories to tell there and I'm not telling them very well at the moment. But So the colours come from Bradford. I think we could actually do a lot more with our colours, but it's like, okay, what's, so that's a great story you could tell. And look, the whole stadium is pretty claret. I was at Juventus recently and this is actually probably a quite a, when I look around this, this this is a, one of our hospitality lounges. When I was at Juventus, everything was black and white, and I thought, oh gosh, that is brilliant. <laughs> and look, but Clara oh God, done for treason here, but claret and Amber can be quite um, bold. So you kind of you have to use the color well. <laughs> I wouldn't advocate pat- painting the walls amber uh, necessarily, but I think we use it quite really well on our kind of visual identity as much as we as, and especially through our kind of digital and marketing. Um, they are really unique colours, they really stand out so we try and use them really strongly um, because like you say, they do set us apart, um, but of course there's always ways we can do it it, uh, better but we do try and play in it, I think um, every time a new kit comes out there seems to be a lot of interest in it because of the colours, every year without fail Um, there's definitely a lot more we could do, because we are very unique, you've probably got Bradford, you've got Roma to an extent although they focus a lot more and they call it red and yellow, so doesn't yeah. really count. Is, um, is
0: it exactly the same as Bradford? A uh, Bradford claret and amber as well. Is that right?
1: I don't know what they call it. I think it's um, slightly different. But the colours, colours are very. I mean, they, they come from Bradford, and we probably okay. adopted it to be claret and amber. Um, but yeah, fairly. I think their 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 claret, I think, is a little bit deeper. Both colours are. The colours have slightly deviated from each other a little bit, but and
0: and they're enough. a bit more claret, and you're a bit more amber generally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, arms, our
1: our, our shirt is... Eighty percent amber, ninety yeah, yeah, percent amber.
0: Yeah. What's next on the agenda? I mean, you talked about CRM uh, mm. bringing that in. Is that is that where you're going to go now to to try and segment oh, the audience? Talk talk a little bit more specifically with your specific story.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. Like it's a, it's actually to come on a podcast like this, it's a little bit embarrassing to say. Oh, and we're bringing in CRM, and it's like, but that's kind of the journey the club's been on. You know, investment opportunities are limited because it is a very you know, it's a, it's a four, four and a half million pound turnover business. The cost of staying in the Scottish top flight and what you have to put into the playing budget is significant because the, the harsh reality of not being in a division is is financial Armageddon. Uh, although I should say we are owned by our supporters. So you, you, you that then you have that kind of, not security blanket, but you have that comfort of, well, they will be the protectors of the club. But look, it would have an impact. So a lot of money goes into that. But the club is really starting to make really strategic investments. So now we've got the brand story nailed. And we're actually, what we're doing right now is that refinement that I talked about. So we go into the new year again and not a new season for once, Going to the new year soon, right? We're really kind of committed and there's a little bit of tweaks here and there. And then the CRM and actually having really strong data um, on our our supporters. And that's for several reasons. One is so we can give them the best experience and we can understand as much about them as possible. So we're getting... So we can truly understand them. We can understand their concerns, and we can act and do better on retention of supporters. Um, because customer service um, is a huge challenge when you can't you're you're only being pre- uh, reactive, whereas actually getting a bit more proactive with what supporters kind of pinch points concerns might be. Then also. Um, being able to market more intentionally, more specifically, like I talked about earlier on, and actually drilled in those segmentations more, and make sure we're growing our revenues through getting the right messages in front of people. And then, and look, we've talked about this as a club and 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 two supporters about building up as look this can be quite controversial, but building up as much data on people as possible, so that. When it comes to commercial partners that we're able to give a more detailed um, overview of our supporter base and i'm not saying i'm going to go and sell your details to bmw but i'm saying i'd like to be able to go to bmw and say well i've got 500 people who drive audi's um would you like to market bmw to and so on and so forth so 500 people shop at asda tesco would you like to advertise with us because that you know we're kind of behind the curve as a club and as an industry here on the way the commercial side is going. Increasingly, you're getting partners coming to you wanting to not only align themselves to values, the value proposition, but also get in front of an audience that's actually going to (laughs) buy. You know, this idea of brand placement, goodwill advertising, just because I want to be associated with a football club is in peril, especially, I'd like, I mean, look, revenues are still good from it. But if we actually want to grow and we want to future proof, we need to understand our supporter base. And look, and I fully appreciate what I'm saying is drastically simplistic, but we need to understand our supporter base so specifically that we're able to go to commercial partners and say, right, okay, this is this is our fan base, this is what it looks like demographically and sociographically, and say, This is if you spend mother money with Motherwell, this is what you're gonna get. Um so that's the next, that's the next big project for us to actually be able to help us grow.
0: But the advantage of what you're doing from the content side and the sentiment side is you're building up trust. And one of the big issues around data is the lack of trust coming from what Facebook's done, what other, other companies have done. You're the opposite side of that. You've just got to make sure you sit, make sure you're on the opposite side and then people will give you your data. I give my data to my cricket club and my football club because I trust them right now, if they let me down, I won't be too happy, but they've got my trust.
1: Yeah, and because we're a fan-owned club as well, we you know once we get to that stage of doing it, we intend to be fully transparent with supporters and say this is what we're doing. Like, there's no hiding it. We're not gonna not gonna hide. What I've just said to you about the, the kind of car or supermarket analogy is exactly what we'll be saying to our supporters. And it's not a case of we're going to go and sell your data. It's allow, allow us to profile and, and, and get these things in front of you because it will help grow your club. And it's about having those honest, transparent conversations rather than try to conceal it. Because at most major clubs or major businesses, people don't care enough, you know, it's like, you know unless something goes wrong. But it's actually, we want to be on the other side of that and say, this is what we're doing. If you don't want to be part of it, you know, fully understand we're saying trust us because this is what we're going to do with it, and this is how we think it'll benefit what ultimately is your club, not just as a supporter but as an owner.
0: Last one, total softball question to end. I'm gonna I'm gonna knock this one up. You can smack it out of fur park. It's fur park, isn't it? Fur park. Yeah,
1: it is, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can
0: I'll knock it up. You smack it out of fur park. Okay, you won the football business award for oh. best digital social media team. What does that do for you? firstly, uh, really because you're judging social media which is hard but also is it a it must be a a philip given you know you're trying to do things ethically you're trying to do things the right way
1: first of all it was validation and i don't think we needed massive validation because the team here and the, the you know the, the chief executive and the board could all and everyone in the business could see that what we we're doing was 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 working you know, just basically through the day to day. But it's just that night that the award was just an out of body experience for one, because we would never expect that. We were up against Man United, um, Leicester, Everton, and Bristol City. Just crazy to to even be nominated, let alone win it. So it was that little bit of validation. It's like, okay, we're doing something right here. <laughs> this approach, which we think is different, is um in industry terms interesting. And people think that it's um an exciting or different way of doing things what does it actually do (laughs) probably for us actually because the trophy i remember when we had the trophy and we couldn't believe it and it was being guarded by life and now it sits on our desk and it's a wonderful wonderful thing but now we just get on with the job (laughs) you know and it's like it sits there as a reminder of yeah folk in the industry think that what you did was fantastic and my god we we we, were so honored and we, we couldn't believe it and probably still can't believe it but it doesn't change anything because we were already on that path so we were never going to deviate from it it's just that little bit of validation and nice to have but we're going to crack on um, and I've just sounded like that award meant nothing and I want to just make very clear we were very super cannot believe we won it <laughs> um, but because it was incredible and look I'm sure it might look good on a, a few CVs further down the line for a for guy here because um If we want to say that Motherwell is a a progressive club for our players, we have to talk about it. It's a a learning place for our staff who who may go and the talent that they have to bigger and better things, but I hope we can keep them much longer.
0: (laughs) My advice would be use it to get more resources. Use it as validation. (laughs) Say, look, you give us more resources, we can do more of this stuff, we can get more of this stuff. Anyway...
1: yeah, I, I really need to jump in and say Alan Burroughs, our chief executive, by the way, backs us to the hilt. we don't, So I'll always take more resources, but honest, honestly, I I mean, I, I probably couldn't have been at any other club and got the level of like, buy-in that he gives us. So I better give him that if he's listened this long. Thanks. <laughs> and my other bit
0: of advice is always make sure you praise the boss.
1: Grant Russell, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you.
0: You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com.